Amen. There is something about that name, isn't there? The very saying of the name Jesus calms a room full of people, offers hope, grace, and help. Today I want to preach my annual sermon as we celebrate our Declaration of Independence. A sermon about the nation, a sermon to the nation, a sermon to God's people, but a sermon that sets the record straight, and I encourage you to listen carefully. Most of you have heard it before, but it's my last opportunity as your pastor to share these truths. And I'm asking our young people, especially young adults and our teenagers, college kids, to listen very closely. In Psalms 33, verses 12 through 22, this is what the Word of God says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their heart individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is... <clears throat> excuse me. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. With all of our faults, I want to say to you, America is still the greatest nation on the face of the earth, has been for over 200 years, and still is today. She's great, first of all, because of her beauty. I don't know of another country in all of the world with such beauty from sea to shining sea. As you look across America, and as many of you have traveled and visited different places in the United States, you have found that it is a beautiful nation. It is a nation of many natural resources, a nation that is absolutely blessed by God. There seems to be a trend today in America for anti-Americanism, anti-patriotism. I've noticed that over the several years of the past, and even so today, that is maybe more so than ever before. But she is great for her freedoms. Some try to revise the history of America to undermine the character and the integrity of our founding fathers 
saying that they weren't who we think they were. They say they weren't motivated by, motivated by principle, but by property, motivated by greed, motivated by desire for wealth. That is simply not true. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than they were to gain. Most were very wealthy already. 24 of them were lawyers. Nine were large landowners or rich farmers. 11 <clears throat> were wealthy merchants. The others were physicians, ministers, etc. They were educated men of standing in their communities. They knew security. They knew prosperity, but felt there was something more important than security and prosperity, and that was freedom. They knew that the penalty for treason was death by hanging, yet they signed the Declaration of Independence. John Hancock, whose name appears in his signature twice as large as all the others, said when he finished signing, now his majesty can read my name without spectacles. Stephen Hopkins, old when he signed and his hand trembled and shook as he signed, looked up and said, gentlemen, my hand trembles, but my heart does not. Four delegates from New York were particularly wealthy. British ships were heading into the harbor in New York, just a few miles off the coast. When they signed, most of New York had already been evacuated. They were others. They and others were pursued. Some were captured and tortured. And of course, many gave their lives. We need to remember when we look at this wonderful, beautiful flag that these and others paid a price for our freedom. And when the flag is burned in ignorant demonstrations, it's an exercise not in freedom of speech, but rather it is high treason against the land of the free and the home of the brave. And those who would do such, I believe, should be prosecuted to the fullest extent. That's the greatness of America. Great for her freedoms. The freedoms you enjoy. The freedoms I enjoy. The freedom to travel where we want to, to do what we want to, to work in the place we want to work, to live where we want to live to worship where we want to worship, when we want to worship, how we want to worship. Those are the freedoms that are afforded to every American citizen. The God of America has been in discussion over the past 20 or 30 years, and he's really been cast out of most places in America. But just as the revisionists want to rewrite history, in order to undermine the character and the integrity of our founding fathers, they also want to undermine our godly heritage. They try to tell us 
this nation wasn't really founded upon God. Even a South American president said years ago, people came to my continent looking for gold, but those who came to America were looking for God. In 1620, the first pilgrims arrived in America. A little band of people crossed Atlantic in a sailboat, 26 by 113 feet. They landed on the Atlantic coast in the bitter cold of winter. As they stepped off the boat, they signed the compact, the Mayflower Compact, the second paragraph of which begins, for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. The first winter was rough. Forty-four of them died the first five months. Only 58 survived. In the fall of 1621, they reaped their first harvest, 21 acres of corn. Their immediate response was to thank God. They marched through the cornfields singing, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they dwell, they that dwell therein. December the 13th, those 13 gathered with 80 friendly Indians and celebrated three days of Thanksgiving with preaching, uh-oh, praying, oh my, singing Christian songs and eating. Most textbooks today say the pilgrims and Indians meant to thank each other. Maybe so, that is true, but more importantly, they gathered to thank God for the harvest and for his bountiful blessings. Over, two, over 200 years later, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day. In that proclamation, he made an important and accurate theological point. We have been the recipients of the choices, bounties of heaven, he said. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity, he continued. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power, and no other nation has ever grown as we have. But we have forgotten God, Abraham Lincoln said. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of God's redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Those were the words of Abraham Lincoln. The Puritans gave their reasons for coming to America as well. 
In the opening sequence of the North, North, excuse me, New England Confederation, it says, whereas we all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in peace. Benjamin Franklin said, when once challenged about having a political session open with prayer, he replied, I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow can fall, cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Some Christians have been intimidated through the years, and they've heard the ACLU and others talk much about the separation of church and state. Doesn't sound too much like separation of church and state in those historical speeches, does it? They have said so much about it that they actually now believe in it. In case you don't know, the, the phrase separation of church and state is nowhere to be found in the Constitution of the United States of America. However, it is found in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. How about that? That phrase was coined in the U.S. by misquoting a letter written by our third president, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson, the principal framer of the Constitution, a letter written to the Danbury Baptist Association, assuring that Baptist Association that he would keep the government out of the church not the church out of government. He was saying, never again will there be a government-sponsored church like back in England. Check it out for yourself. The First Amendment actually says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof if there is a such thing as separation of church and state it is intended as a one-way street that the state shall not interfere with the church 94 percent of the writings of the founding fathers of this united states contain quotations from the bible for instance, Thomas Jefferson, he says, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. In 1781, he said that. Our sixth president, 
John Quincy Adams said, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. Franklin Roosevelt prayed this prayer on national radio hookup on D-Day, June the 6th, 1944. As our troops stormed the beaches, stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, this is his prayer. Almighty God, with thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Harry Truman, our 33rd president, not known to be a committed believer, understood the spiritual heritage of this nation. He said, if men and nations would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. And as quoted in our video this morning, Ronald Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be one nation gone under. George W. Bush was asked to name the philosopher that had the greatest influence in his life. His answer was, Christ Jesus, because he changed my heart. The greatness of America is in her freedoms. The God of America is the one and only true living God, Jehovah, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we were founded to be. Those are the principles we have stood on for over 200 years. Those are the reasons that we have been so blessed as a nation, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I'm thankful for those who have come before us I'm thankful for their wisdom. I'm thankful for the way that they stuck with it regardless of the circumstances and how bleak the future may have looked. They stood on the principles of what was right. Regardless of what others said, they stood on the truths of the Word of God and that God had indeed blessed this nation and kept it strong and protected it even through world wars. He has protected this nation and even through us being attacked on our own, own property here in the United States on 9-11, God has preserved us. He has blessed us. He's given us victory. And he still is the God of America. But I want to talk about our guilt for a moment. We are guilty as a nation the guilt of America lies in the indifference and the complacency 
of the people of God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. The destiny of America is in the hands, or may I say, in the prayer life and the response of the people of God. God has not preserved this nation for the heathen. God has not kept us strong because of heathen beliefs. He has not protected us from the enemies because we were weak and undone and did not know who to turn to. He has responded to a nation that in its history has turned to a holy God, believed in a holy God, trusted a holy God, sought a holy God, and expected him to respond to the needs of this nation. And can I say to you, that is still true of a nation that will trust in him, that will serve him, and call upon him he will still move if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked or sinful ways I want to close with three things every Christian in this country must do in obeying the word of God first of all we are to participate. It is our Christian responsibility to be informed of current events, to be informed of political persuasions, to be informed of bills that are before Congress in the state or in the nation, to be informed of lawsuits that are coming against the church and others who stand on the things of God and on the principles of the word and to seek God on a regular basis, not just in the time of calamity as we have recently done and turn to him and ask him to move and to intervene and to meet our needs, but on a constant basis, the people of God turning to a holy God, seeking him for themselves, confessing our sins as individuals, confessing our sin corporately as the people of God and are not taking matters seriously, not doing what we ought to, and not being civil-minded enough to be involved in the politics as much as I despise politics, to be involved in the political system of the United States, one that has been well put together, one where every person has a voice through their vote and only one vote, and one where every person person can vote the convictions of their heart regardless of who they are. Even a heathen can vote the convictions of their heart, of their beliefs. Those freedoms are given to us. We need to participate as Christians. We need to participate in local government. When there are hearings before our city council that are contrary to what the church believes and the scriptures teach, we need to be there. We need to take a stand. And we have and we will continue to do that. Sometimes through representation from uh, other churches together and associational leaders. But we're thankful 
for that. We must continue to do it by being informed. Shame on the child of God. Shame on the Christian who pledges their allegiance to this flag and then doesn't take actions to be involved by voting their convictions at times of voting. We must be that kind of Christians. We must be involved. We must take in what's going on. We must be informed of what's being voted on. We must know what's, what's on the uprise in our nation so that we can stand strongly. What we usually do is we wait till the point where we hands, have to stand up against it and we come across as negative. We need to take a stand 365 days a year on the positive the positive of the Word of God, the positive of the blessings of God, on the positive of obeying God's Word and living holy lives. We need to sound forth with that and stand on it on every day of our lives of the year. Secondly, we must parade in celebration, uh, celebrations. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> that we must parade in the celebration of the truth. We've got to quit sitting idly by, twiddling our thumbs, saying, oh my and oh me, what is the world coming to? I'm telling you what the world's coming to, exactly what the church is allowing the world to come to. We need to take a stand. We need to know and, and the, who we are. And we need to know there are other Christians all over this United States of America, some of them of other persuasions in their denomination, of course. Some of them that miss, or I shouldn't say miss, they interpret the Scripture differently, and we would say misinterpret it differently. And they interpret it differently, and they believe different things, but they still believe in one God, the Lord God Almighty. They believe in one Lord, Savior, the G Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They believe the Scripture is the Word of God, and they were to live by it. And together, we need to stand on those things that we have in common and stand for holiness and righteousness, celebrating the truth. We must openly without fear, without fear for ourselves or even our families, proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And lastly, we must pray. We have special times of prayer in our services when the occasion calls for it. We have special times of responding to the altar when the occasion calls for it. We have times when people have come and led us in prayers for specific needs in our nation. But we need to pray all the time. I'll tell you on our Wednesday night prayer calendar, Praying for our country, for its leadership, our state and its leadership, our city and its leadership, our county and its leadership. Praying for our leadership 
They may not all be listed individually, but they're on the prayer sheet. Your pastor's guilty. I seldom have ever mentioned that prayer need. Woe be to us. How do we sit in criticism? How do we stand in, in, in offering critical words to people in public leadership when we've not done the biblically charged and directed responsibility, privilege, teachings of the Word of God to pray for those who are in leadership, to pray for the powers that be in our country. We must be a praying church. I'm thankful to live in this nation. Are you? I really am thankful to live in this nation. I wouldn't move anywhere. I wouldn't go anywhere to stay. Matter of fact, the military is the only way I've been out of the country. Well, I did go on a mission tour with the International Mission Board. But you know, I didn't go over there to stay. I went on a mission. I went on a mission with the military. I went on the mission with the, the International Mission Board. But my homeland is the God-blessed, wonderful United States of America. I'm thankful to be an American. Matter of fact, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of that flag. I'm thankful for the seven years plus that I was able to spend in the United States Air Force. I'm thankful for that. I, I reflect back on it, and I, I'm telling you, it was a wonderful time of growing in my life and appreciating the things I had been taught as a child and all through my school years. I came to see it firsthand as a member of the military. And now today, in my old years, I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to still live in freedom in the United States of America. Melanie and I have that little home place that we bought where we're retiring. Oh, it's not a whole lot, but it's more than I can keep up. It's, it's a fun place. It's in the country. It's so far out in the country, they send electricity out there on special wires just to get to us. It's so far in the country, I don't even think there's a phone line out there. And our cell phones, they work. It reminds me of when you used to watch those old shows on TV where they would get on those phones and crank them up and then they, hey, what do you say? Hey. That's the way it is on our cell phone. What'd you say? I lost them again. You know, it just goes on. But it's all fun. And I'm telling you, we enjoy it. I'm thankful to be able to have a place to live that God's provided. And I'm so thankful that it's in the state of Alabama, in the United States of America. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy as I close. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, listen when Paul says first of all, 
that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Then he goes on to explain for kings or leaders and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Isn't that something? The Apostle Paul wrote that to young Timothy way back in the first century. And here we are in the 21st century, is it? And those same truths apply to us that we pray, make intercession for, and here's the hard one, and give thanks for kings, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Our duty as Christians is to be the very best citizen of the United States that can be found, the best in support, the best in loving this country, the best in praying for this country, the best in participating in the political affairs of this country, the best ought to always be found in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you tomorrow on Independence Day to have a good time, to celebrate, Enjoy your family. If you're on the lake, if you're at the fireworks show, whatever you're doing, just enjoy it. But don't forget, you're free because of those who've come before us. You're free because of the handiwork and the blessings and the protection of an almighty God. And let us walk in obedience, praying for this nation loving it, being informed, and participating, that God may be honored and glorified and that we can live in peace with all people. Not my word, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what brings us together in this place today to worship you and to celebrate what we have in Christ Jesus. But Lord, also to come and to be reminded of our blessings, to be citizens of this great nation, not great because of who lives here, but great because of who presides over this country. You've blessed us with a rich history. You've blessed us with so many victories of protection You've blessed us with such wonderful natural resources. 
Lord, help us not to take these things for granted. Help us to walk as Christians, honoring your word by the way that we serve and the way that we conduct ourselves as Americans. Thank you for the privilege you've given us, undeserving as we are, to live in the greatest country on the face of this earth. And we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.